Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Well, good morning, Grumlot Church. Uh, super excited to start this new series today, but I'm also going to kind of throw out a uh, just kind of a heads up to all of you, uh, especially if you're new to this whole church thing. You're just kind of beginning to explore, just kind of beginning to lean into this conversation surrounding Jesus. Uh, it would be entirely possible that about like, I don't know, three, four minutes into this message, you might begin thinking to yourself, it's like, okay, like, what is all this? Why are you just kind of information dumping all of this on me right now? Where, where's the practical stuff that I was experiencing in that winning the war in your mind series? Where are we going with all of this? And, and my plea to you is, yes, I'm going to be dropping a lot of information here over the first part of this series, over the first part of this message. Um, but stick with us here to the end. I promise I am going to connect those dots for you. And, and if you have that thought of like, I don't need to know this stuff. I, I, again, I promise by the end of this, I think it'll connect for you. And I think that all of us honestly will be super, super interested interested into where we are heading here over the course of this series. Good enough? Stick with us? Got it? Good. All right. I'm going to start today with a confession as we kick off this new series. But, but in order for you to even understand the confession, I probably ought to begin by defining this rather fancy theological word that this series bears, ecclesiology, or, or literally translated the, the study of the church. Now, this is a more literal definition of this term, as this term is actually derived from two Greek words. The first word is a term that maybe you're familiar with, ekklesia, which literally translated means gathering or assembly or, or, or church. Now, as I've noted before, church is actually a really, really poor translation of this word ekklesia because in our Western context, when we hear the word church, we don't think of a gathering of people. We think of a literal building that that was not the intent of this term. Ecclesia was meant to describe the collection of followers of Jesus at large throughout all the world, throughout all the ages. And, and then the second part of our term here, ology, which literally translated means the study of. So again, you put them together, the study of the church, the study of this collective gathering of followers of Jesus. But more specifically, what are we going to be exploring here over the course of, of this series? What does ecclesiology actually refer to? It's the study of the doctrine pertaining to the Christian church. Or if I was to put it in even simpler terms, I would say that this is the essential, we don't budge on this stuff that, that Christians believe or ought to believe. And we're actually going to get a little bit into that today, that, that you will find in, in increasing fashion, I might add, local gatherings, particularly in first world countries, deviating from some or, or actually all of these convictions that we're going to talk about. But we're going to get on that here in just a little bit. But for now, back to my confession. You ready? Here goes. There is a 0% chance <laughs> that, that I would have done a series like this when we first started this church about five years ago. Now, to be very clear, what I just said there, that doesn't have anything to do with my or Grumlaw's theology changing. And, and it has everything to do with practice. How we go about doing this thing that we call church. And, and, and even more specifically, how directly we might teach on topics like this, and, and in particular on, on Sunday mornings. But part of me, honestly, just kind of underestimated that the curiosity of people like you. I thought, practically speaking, that spending nine weeks on ecclesiology would be of little interest to most of you. 
But through many private conversations, through the connect groups that I've been a part of, that I've led, even talking with neighbors and other people in in my community who don't claim Christ, I've been experiencing a genuine interest and curiosity like I've never seen, at least in my lifetime, as it relates to the Christian faith and specifically, what is it that we as Christians believe? The, the, The Holy Spirit has also conducted a rather dramatic shift within me as it relates to topics like church doctrine. See, my opinion, just being honest here, when we first started this church was that these types of topics were kind of best sprinkled within topical series. And this more direct, call it Sunday school type teaching, was best reserved for smaller groups of people who had in some way explicitly expressed an interest in this type of content. In other words, don't waste your time teaching this stuff to the masses because the masses, they don't really care. Give them the stuff kind of on the bottom shelf, and eventually, hopefully, they'll, they'll reach up for this deeper stuff that's on the top shelf. But, but, but most importantly, and to be clear, I think this has existed since the beginning, since we started this church. I don't think there's actually been a, a dramatic shift here over these last five years in particular in, in this context. I just kind of need to open my eyes. Most importantly, it's become increasingly apparent how ignorant the average American churchgoer is to basic church doctrine. Now, what I just said right there could easily be taken as a slight or, or even a rebuke. I don't mean it to come across that way. This is actually a statement of fact based upon my experience as a pastor and, and my interactions with those even within this faith community. And based upon countless conversations with other pastors and friends, it's not even unique to this church, but it's rather a big C collective American church problem. And I chose my words there very intentionally. Church, it is a problem. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you should be able to reasonably articulate what it is that you as a Christian believe. Now, now that probably, especially actually if you're new to all this, that probably sounds painfully obvious. But, but again, experience has shown me that it's actually the exception, not the rule. And, and again, to be clear, I don't blame any of you for this. In, in our post-Christian world, and I'm going to explain what that, what that term even means here in a little bit, th- there are fewer and fewer environments outside of a church setting where, where you might even have the opportunity to learn this stuff. Or, or as I've said it before, If you don't learn about it here, where are you going to learn the stuff? And I'm telling you, I accept some of the blame here. It's partly on us churches, on us pastors, and in particular, and I'll really throw myself under the bus here, our approach here at Grumlaw to discipleship prior to the pandemic. It was upon regathering post-pandemic that we began to make a shift in this area. See, I used to think that if we could just get people walking through the doors, and we could just get you into a connect group and serving in the community that our community would then be impacted for Christ. But, but, but here's what I and frankly so many other pastors have discovered. That, that without the teaching of the core tenets, that the doctrines of the Christian faith, you frankly don't stand a chance in our post-Christian world. That is, and I think each of you would probably agree with this, regardless of what your experience is here within the church, each of you are being far more influenced by progressive Christianity and secular culture than you are by the word of God and the historic Christian faith. As one of my close friends, Josh Howerton, often frames it, if the church doesn't disciple you, the world sure will. Now, early on in our church-starting journey, 
I thought the key issue was, was contextualizing the gospel. T- taking those felt needs, those, those areas where you were feeling pressure points and then finding passages of scripture and, and saying, Here, here's what scripture says about this. Here's how scripture can help. But, but my experience has shown me that in this increasingly post-Christian culture, that the gospel, the life-changing message of Jesus has actually been over-contextualized. And, and basic discipleship has been neglected. Disciplines like teaching the Bible and and understanding the main tenets of the faith and and being okay with by the fact that that some of the core doctrines of the Christian faith will absolutely rub people the wrong way. Much of what Jesus said and and taught was frankly wildly offensive. (laughs) They didn't crucify him because they loved him so much. Now, now to be clear, here on Sunday, February the 5th, that this isn't marking a departure from a core value like belong before you believe where we wholeheartedly embrace the approach, the the Jesus approach, mind you, where we don't require you to definitively embrace everything that we talk about on Sunday mornings on your first day walking through our doors. Come explore, ask questions, but bring your doubts, poke holes, pry. We we welcome all of that, belong, be a part of the Grumlaw family before you embrace everything that we're gonna talk about over the course of these nine weeks. But, and I'm just kind of peering into your future, At a certain point, you are going to have to wrestle to the ground. Do I actually believe in this Jesus guy? Is he more than than merely a historical figure? And is it possible that that, that he might actually be my my savior? And if he's my savior, that means embracing some stuff that probably won't sit well with me. I've admitted this many, many times over these last couple of years in particular, that there is plenty of this stuff within this book that, that I just frankly wish wasn't there, that, that, that makes my life more difficult as a pastor, that, that, that kind of makes me cringe, that definitely some stuff that society will label as hateful and exclusive and archaic and bigoted, that definitely some stuff that especially if this is all new to you, you're just kind of beginning to explore, it's going to make you a little uh, squirmy. But, but I believe, and again, God has taught me this over and over and over again in, in my life as a pastor, that, that clarity is, is kindness. That, that it's better to, to be up front with this stuff than for you to feel like you got the old bait and switcheroo. Be up front to tell me what you guys are all about. In fact, that's likely at least part of the reason that you literally came walking through our doors, that you decided to check this out this morning. You're just kind of curious about what we believe. You, you just, you, you want to know. And, and if I can pry a little more, I'm guessing <laughs> that you probably expected to be offended by some of this stuff, right? You knew that you wouldn't find yourself agreeing with everything, and it's actually probably those offended by topics that you're most curious about. More than ever, I have this deep-seated conviction to be a very wise steward with the hour that we get together each week. To to take the time, like we're going to be doing in this series, to teach some essentials. In this case, the essential doctrines of, of the Christian faith. I mean, after all, if you don't learn about it here, where, where else are you getting this information from? If, if we don't disciple you, the world sure will. Now, s- central to this conversation is understanding where, where all of us, where we find ourselves in world history. And, and for the sake of this topic at, at hand, I'm going to break this down into three categories or three eras with, with a heavy focus on the third. 
The the first can simply be referred to as pre-Christian. And as the title would suggest, uh, this is before Jesus stepped foot onto the earth, where, where Greek gods and polytheism were widely practiced mysticism and a different God for every facet of life. It was a pre-Christian, largely polytheistic world. And then comes along Jesus and what we would call a Christian era. This is where Christianity became the predominant religion of the day. It really began with Rome embracing Christianity as the state religion shortly after Jesus spent his time on earth and then ascended back into heaven. And depending on who you talk to, and I'm not actually here to debate this particular point this morning, it's where we arguably stood as a society even as recently as the 1960s, where the majority of American society, and here I'm going to begin to shift the conversation to our American, our Western context, that the majority of our American society would identify as Christian. Christianity, when you think about it, it was built into the very fabric of our society. Liquor stores were closed on Sundays. Church wasn't just something that you did for an hour each week, but there was Sunday school and midweek programming. In so many ways, our lives actually centered around the local church. And then where we find ourselves today, where we've certainly pivoted, what we would refer to as post-Christian. Now, there are three tectonic shifts, as John Mark Comer puts it, that have occurred in Western culture that that point to our post-Christian society. The the, the first is from the majority to, to the minority. According to a recent Barna study, the number of young adults who would identify as Christian in America now is, is 10%. And, and then when you go to more urban areas, uh, you actually see that, area, that number drop uh, pretty dramatically. We are, as Christians, what sociologists would refer to as a cognitive minority, meaning as followers of Jesus, our worldview and value system are increasingly at sharp odds with those of our host culture. The second shift was from a place of honor to a place of shame. If you walk around any major American city, uh, literally carved into buildings is the language of scripture. Followers of Jesus were at one point at the center of culture making. The the, the church held a place of honor. In case you haven't noticed, not anymore. Christians are often seen as the problem, not the solution. Often, especially with the radical moral reversal around human sexuality, gender, and the life of the unborn, we're actually seen as immoral by a large swath of the population. And and then the third, and what I believe to be the most significant, from from widespread tolerance to to a rising hostility. No, no, No longer are Christians simply seen as weird because we eschew premarital sex and we give away our money. We're actually dangerous. We're a threat to secularism's alternative vision to human flourishing. If you're a Christian, you are a literal exile in Babylon. Now, it's certainly possible that depending on where you're watching from right now, you're like, okay, I'm just not really feeling that third one. I haven't felt hostility towards Christians. I haven't felt hostility towards myself. You again talk to anyone, and I have many pastors who are pastoring in in major American cities, that this is what they're feeling. This is what they are living And I don't say this as like a doomsday type warning, but if you haven't felt that yet, I promise you it's coming. Now, because of these ships, we find ourselves again in this post-Christian world with increasing hostility towards Christians. We're seeing a new movement sweep the Western world. It's cleverly disguised as Christianity, but in reality, it's a heretical fraud. It's a sheep dressed in wolf's clothing. It's commonly referred to, if we can just kind of put an umbrella statement all around it, as as progressive Christianity. 
And, and here's my best attempt for a succinct definition, and some of you will say that doesn't seem succinct at all. I tried. It's a post-liberal theological approach that seeks to reform the faith via the insights of post-modernism and a reclaiming of the truth beyond the verifiable historicity and factuality of the passages in the Bible by affirming the truths within the stories that may not have actually happened. If that just hurt your brain, that is a rather lengthy definition. Here's how I would put it in layman's terms. It's reinterpreting scripture and the historic teachings of the church, and obviously referring to the Christian church, to make them more palatable to our modern culture. It's a sort of pick-and-choose approach to scripture. It's a, I love the Jesus who is all loving and mercy and kind and gentle, but, but the minute that he starts saying or doing something that disrupts my life, or perhaps even more importantly, the life of someone I care about, I, I swipe left. You've probably noticed by this point, I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of progressive Christianity. And, and the reason that is, is because it's chipping away at the gospel, that the life-changing, eternity-transforming message of Jesus the gospel that has rescued my life and so many others. And it's promoting an unbiblical agenda. And what truly hurts the most as the pastor of this church, I mean, it literally keeps me awake at night, are the number of people who have left this faith community and walked away from God in favor of this false, more socially acceptable faith. Grumlaw, God has been so gracious to us as a church we're constantly growing. You show up on Sunday, your mornings, and you're like, what the heck? There are tons of new people walking through the doors every single week. And I don't want you to get me wrong. I get all crazy kinds of excited about that. I love seeing that. But, but the number of people who have left in particular over these last two years, it's been incredibly sobering and, and disconcerting. And, and I say that because in large part, they haven't left because they moved out of the community. Or, or because we moved locations on Sunday mornings. They have left the historic Christian faith. They've left in favor of a progressive church that will embrace their views on human sexuality, their stance on abortion, even tout their political leanings. And what I've noted in research certainly supports is that the vast majority of those individuals who have stepped out of these Bible-believing churches and into more progressive faith communities is that they're not committed to a local church or even practicing their faith months or even years later. Because discipling simply amounts to being tolerant and, and being inclusive. It, it frankly ends up not really sounding all that much different from what the world, from what culture at large is offering. And so people eventually decide to stop giving an hour of their week up on Sunday mornings and they walk away altogether. Now, now again, what I'm saying right now could be misinterpreted that that, that I'm mad or, or I'm bitter or I'm angry at, at these individuals for, for falling for this false teaching. That, that could not be further from it. I'm not mad. I'm, I'm heartbroken. We started this church so that people who do not have a relationship with Jesus might step into a relationship. Real, purpose-filled, joy-filled life with Jesus. And it is heart-wrenching to watch in real time people whom you care deeply about be led astray by false teaching. My responsibility, my oath before the living God is that I lead this church well spiritually. That, that, that I protect this church from false teaching and make sure that we stay true to sound, unchanging doctrine. 
Paul predicted as much in, in his letter to his friend Timothy. He, he says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. That they'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, you follower of Jesus, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Church, I take that call very, very seriously. And in some ways, I'm apologizing to you this morning that, that, that I have not taught more directly on these types of topics in the past. But, but I mean this, I've never been more excited for the future of this church. Because it would be very, very easy to take everything that I've just said to this point and interpret it as, oh my gosh, Christianity in the Western world is doomed. It's only a matter of time before every church closes their doors, including Grumlaw. No, 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 look around. Look what is happening within this faith community. People are hungrier for truth than, than I have ever experienced in my lifetime. People are sensing and in many cases admitting that what secular culture is pushing it is falling woefully short. Our world is searching for answers. You, perhaps you, like decided to check this out today because you're looking for answers. And I can confidently tell you that the life you're looking for, that the life of joy and, and purpose and contentment and peace, it's, it's not a fleeting pursuit. And, and it's not found in something, but, but in someone. Jesus Christ, who willingly offered up his life for your sin. But, but Jesus himself tells us it will not be the path that culture at large chooses. In, in Matthew chapter 7, the very words of Jesus are captured for us. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. For, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Jesus doesn't really mince words here, right? It's one of the things that I've, I've just grown to love so much about Jesus. He's, he's refreshingly honest. He's incredibly direct. The, the path that he offers is narrow. He, he states it so plainly. He says few people are going to choose it. We are never as followers of Jesus going to be the majority. But, but he's also quick to tell us, hey, it, it is the path where true life is found. True life, the life that he is in fact waiting for you. It doesn't matter who you are, how far you've strayed, how defiantly you have turned your back to him, the decisions that you've made to this point. He is waiting with a relentless love for you to turn to him, to head down, yes, that narrow road, but straight into his loving arms. And then in the very next verse, and my goodness, could this passage not be more applicable for this particular cultural moment? The very next verse, Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. As we wrap up this morning, at like the introduction to this series, there, there's a few details, a few warnings that, that come from this text. Number one, they are present in our midst. This is a present warning from Jesus, not a future one, which is precisely why he tells us to watch out. 
Number two, they, they are in the church. Now, I don't mean to imply look to your left, look to your right. One of those people, they, they are a false prophet. I, I think there probably are, just given the insinuation here of what Jesus is saying, there probably are some false prophets, even, yes, within Grumlaw Church, but he, he's speaking of, I'm speaking of right now, the big C collective body of followers of Jesus. J- Jesus is warning us here that the danger lies within. There's actually less of a threat from our secular culture and more of a threat from those within the church. And and just think about this logically. This is always where the most difficult conflicts are born. Not outside your house, but inside. Number three, they they are prophets. Meaning they are leaders in the church. And again, I'm talking about the big C collective church. That they're leaders in the church, not just the casual attender. The enemy is attempting to create chaos within the Christian church by raising up false prophets. Number four, that they are ferocious wolves. Again, these are Jesus' words, not my own. But, but again, the implication here is that they're out to hurt you, to tear apart your family, to, to, to lead one member of the family astray, to isolate, to wound, to hurt. And, and then number five, they, they disguise themselves. Wolves dressed in sheep's clothing, as Jesus puts it. That they are intentionally deceitful, intentionally mixing truth with lies, leading others astray one lie at a time. So, so what does this mean for us, Grumlaw Church? A, a, a local congregation of people who are attempting to follow the way of Jesus. We go back to Paul's words to his buddy Timothy. He says there, watch your life and doctrine closely. Wherever you're watching from right now, and half of you will probably actually do this, say that out loud right now. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Two points of application for us. Number one is is right living. Do we as a faith community, Grumlaw Church, say one thing and do another? This isn't a question for the person next to you. It's a question for you. Are are, are we hypocrites? Are are we merely listeners or or do we do? The measure of each of our lives will be how obedient we were to the teachings of Jesus and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And then number two, right doctrine. What do we teach? Do we unflinchingly adhere to the words of Scripture and and sound Christian doctrine regardless of our cultural moment? So here is where we are going here for the next eight weeks, the doctrine that we are going to be covering, these non-essentials that I've been alluding to that you're just dying to see at this point. Uh, We're going to start next week by talking about God the Father, and then we're going to talk about God the Son, also known as Jesus, and then God the Holy Spirit, collectively referred to as the Trinity. Uh, Then we're going to talk about humanity, salvation, that's a big one, kind of drastic implications for all of us, the Bible, the unchanging, inerrant word of God, the church, the collective body of followers of Jesus, and then we'll wrap things up talking about everybody's favorite topic, end times and the return of Christ. Church, I I could not be more excited for the future of this church, the future of his church.